Hey guys, thanks for taking the drive down State Street. In today's episode, we cover our final part in How I Raised Myself from Failure to Success in Selling by Frank Becker. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to State Street. Uh, hey guys, this is the co-host, the voice, Nick Kleitch, and with me as always, Cole and Jeremy. How are we, boys? Nick, we're doing good. We were uh, able to shake off the daylight savings time hour, you know, hour less sleep. Um, I uh, I woke up at like 11 o'clock today because I worked till midnight last night and, you know, didn't feel like I slept that long. Um, I know. A lot of people don't really like this time of year, but I mean, I went and grabbed myself a nice little energy drink, and uh, we're fine now. The uh, the time change caught me by total surprise, and that is no one's fault but my own. Just because I we I had I had talked to a number of people that was were like, oh yeah, you know the the time change is happening, and and be ready for it. At least it's happening on a Saturday, you know, not a Monday or anything, and and you're going to sleep grog, you're going to work groggy or anything. Uh, but it did. It, to- it totally caught me by surprise. I woke up this morning and I was like, holy cow, man. Like, I, why am I just so much more tired than normal? Uh, but that is why. But hey, we're in the midst of March, which means that baseball is close to being played. Tournament basketball is going on. It's Selection Sunday as we're recording this. Uh, the weather is starting to become really, really nice. I know out here and I think it is in the Midwest, too. Um Really fun time of year, busy time of year for a lot of folks. And so hopefully people that are listening to this are, are being productive while doing so. That's a beautiful thing about podcasts uh, is you can be productive while still listening to this and, and take take a little something away. doesn't have to be a lot, but one thing. Take one or two things away while you're getting work done or, or you know getting a workout in or getting some laundry done or, or whatever you're doing, walking the dog, playing with kids. Um, yeah, I mean, just a great time of year. Yeah, I... Uh... We'll absolutely agree with you guys. Um, however, I was really looking forward to the time change just so I get that extra hour um, after work. I had dreaded the depression of going to work dark and coming home when it's dark as well. And so I was very ready to to gain that a little bit of feeling you can complete things after work with having uh, maybe to get some vitamin D uh, if you're not able to grab it in the morning. But we are wrapping up. Uh, another book series. And man, I think back to when we just started doing these and um, we haven't got to a a too crazy uh, high volume of the books that we've completed, but it's always good to check one off the list and keep the ball moving forward. So part three of how I raise myself from failure to success in selling by Frank Betger. Uh, We're going to maybe have a different structure to today's episode than prior episodes, um, just to kind of share openly what had stood out to us the most. This is not a book that uh, has a small amount of chapters with a lot of depth. However, the complete opposite. It has a lot of chapters with a lot of mini nuggets and tools and tactics on selling. Um, And so it was hard for us to like just have a couple categories we talked on. Otherwise, we wouldn't have enough time to squeeze it in. But um, just uh, maybe to get the ball rolling here, Cole, I know we had a nice fruitful conversation off air. Um, What was maybe one thing that stood out to you in this final section that... um, you feel like you could implement or I don't know, it just kind of stood, stood out among, amongst the rest of the book. Well, so, I mean, we can just start where, where we left off with that fruitful conversation you mentioned, right? The kind of the, the number one thing is you and I were talking um, was the fact that we both highlighted a ton 
of and 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 I will preface and Nick, you're right in prefacing that there was so much. And so if you want to get a full encompassing of what we're reading, um, what we're talking about, you got to read the book. This one's not too long. It's like 190 pages. Um, so it's a, it is a fairly quick and easy read. But um, like the power of of the follow-up and how important it is to reassure people on what you know you've sold them on or what they've bought and how powerful that reassurance is for folks. And when you love their property as the the person who sold it to them, um, it, it it makes them feel special, right? And and like I said. That is something we all want. And and a lot of people have said it before me, so I'm not taking full credit. But you and I were talking, Nick, in this in this conversation. And it's why do we do things? We do things to get a reaction from somebody or from something, because that reaction makes us feel some sort of way. Which when it's a great reaction, it makes you feel special, right? And and why so you know, why do we do this podcast? Well, because we like to talk to our friends. And we like when people compliment us on a good episode or, or doing something good or reading a book that maybe they ended up reading or they've read in the past, right? And it's like, that makes us, yeah, we like to hear ourselves talk, but there's a feeling of gratitude, a feeling of accomplishment that goes along with it, just like in selling. Um, and when you sell something, yes, it's fantastic. You hopefully get an awesome commission. Uh, maybe you make a friend along the way. That's the, the, the whole hope, right? Um, and that's the whole point of like this follow-up topic that Frank talks about and, and that's reinforced in the chapter is when somebody buys something from you or when you sell someone on something, you make it look so good and you make it sound awesome and it's going to help them, right? Because you're, you're trying to fill that need as a salesperson. Uh, when you reassure somebody something or you say, yeah, like, I, you know, that's one of the best things we have in our inventory. I'm sad to see it go, but I'm so glad it's going to you. That's something that's so powerful and and it that's the when when other people that that customer gets that feeling of reassurance from you that it's not just a transactional here's my good and I'll take your money it's truly it, it there's there's a void that is filled whatever that void that person is is searching to um to to take care of or fill yeah, and that's a great starting point. I'm going to actually share a, a little bit of statistical analysis before I uh, share my point. Uh, we have a, a chart, or I have a chart in my office that says that 48% of salespeople don't follow up after the first attempt, um, yet. 80% of businesses done on the fifth or more follow-up. And we just share that as a reminder that generally when you're out prospecting new business, you have to be, there's a certain approach to that. And we'll get to that maybe a little bit later, but what's really a separator for people is when you not only acknowledge and have a, like a really good conversation with them, but when you actually follow up with what you say you're going to do and maybe three or six months, and when you'd make that call and, and people, you can hear it in their voice, you know, it's just not a common thing anymore. People are very much so me centric in sales. And I guess I can't speak for the whole industry, but there's a, probably a lot of bad experiences people have had from transactional salespeople that as soon as they sell them, they're grabbing their check and they're, they never talk to them again, which is very frustrating because uh, to your point, Cole, you almost have to resell the individual or the prospect as much as or more after the sale has concluded for that relationship and that rapport to be really solidified. Uh, I'll just share this. Uh, we were talking about how you haven't had that opportunity yet. And you were thinking about, you know, going to the people that you spoke on the phone when they get to the stadium and, and just 
putting a face and and acknowledging their presence. I mean, just talk on that a little bit, man. That's a great idea. Well, it's 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 funny because I started my my sales experience in a year that face-to-face meetings were, you know, essentially non-existent after the month of March. Uh, and there wasn't any baseball played. So the the sales that I did make, I didn't even get the opportunity to see the fruits of my labor um, in my my young sales career. And obviously, I'm still young into that to to sales. Um, but yeah, that's I'm glad I we, we we read this book, Nick. Like we were saying, because this year, obviously, we are going to have baseball. There is going to be a season, and and I am doing a lot of selling, which is a great thing, and and I'm super thrilled about. And uh, it hasn't come with a lot of without a lot of hard work, both outside of work and also during the workday and throughout the work week. Um, but what's going to be super cool is when that first game is played, right? And there's people in the stands. And I know that partially that's because I was the one that sold them on that. And so what's going to be important, especially after reading this this book, this this third section and, and one of the chapters specifically, is I'm, I want to take the opportunity to go see, you know, a number of those people. It doesn't have to be I hit every single person, you know, that night, you know, or be rushing around all night, nine innings of a baseball game and trying to take up people's evening, speak to them, introduce myself. But no, just put a face to a name because, yeah, I haven't necessarily got to meet with a lot of people in person or even via a Zoom call. You know, a lot of our business isn't necessarily done that way. A lot of it is done over the phone um, or in meetings. And when you cut one of those off, well, you lose a little bit of that personal touch. And so being able to reinstill that personal touch and Nick, like I said, it may not have been something I would have done had there been a season in 2020 and I did get to see the fruits of my labor. I would have been awesome. You know, there's people in the ballpark, there's baseball being played and like I, I got my commission. Um, now it's, it is going to be super important that I go over to people. Maybe it's, maybe it's five different individuals, right. And just be like, Hey, uh, Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so I'm Cole Sazinski. Uh, I'm so happy that, that I was able to, to get you in here this season. I know 2020 was a bummer us not, not having a year, but, uh, you know, you guys have a really, really awesome spot. It's a beautiful night out. And, and I'm so glad that, that you could be here to join us. I, I mean, I may be wrong and, and maybe some people will be turned off by that. Or maybe some people just don't want to talk to me or I'll be taking up their, their evening, but hopefully somebody for, for one person, at least, just like with this podcast, it makes their evening, right? Hopefully with this podcast, we change one life. And so, um, yeah, dude, I think, I mean, that's super important. Like I said, I don't think I would necessarily would have emphasized that though, had we not read this book and had there been a season in 2020 that I maybe overlooked it to begin with. Yeah. And this is, uh, going back to just the core of what we do on Sundays is reading. And and when you're able to develop into this information, it's so cool to see what stands out. And I, this is the second time for me reading it, the first for you. And I'm glad that you had these light bulb moments because it is so important. Uh, and we're getting to the point now and, and I am in, in the sales year that I get to actually do more relationship building after my first year was just a basically meeting a lot of new prospects. And though I do love introducing people to the network and, and letting them know what opportunities are out there, it's so much easier to call people that you've had prior warm touches with um, because I don't really know of any salesman that just wakes up every single day that says they're so excited to make cold call sales. <laughs> so the only the only way to get there though is having an efficient and effective follow-up. And I 
think that in, in chapter 30 specifically, uh, forgive me for maybe being too uh, robotic and quoting some stuff for the book here, but how I find new customers and make old ones enthusiastic boosters. And one of the, the examples is, you know, he had bought in a bunch of cars in his lifetime, uh, but not a single one of those salesmen followed up with him. And so his kind of core principle is never forget a customer, never let a customer forget you. And uh, just to, to summarize the point there is, you can't be so selfish to think that everyone is money in your pocket. The more you can invest in your network and the more that you can invest in building relationships with these people, the, the better off it's going to be. And I'm I'm very grateful that the, the fruits of our labor um, in the recruiting business anyway has gotten to this point where I get to follow up with people. But that uh, the, the depth of building that and um, just, I don't know, it seems so simple to just follow up, like how easy it to follow up. But at the same time, People appreciate you remembering their name and your conversation. Well, it's it's also, uh, you know, it kind of goes back to like the old adage that, you know, my mom used to harp on me about. I don't know if your guys' mom ever harped on you or parents or, or anyone like grandpa, grandma, maybe harped on you about writing thank you notes, like handwritten letters and Absolutely. how important that was, right? Like after graduation party or after Christmas or birthdays, it's like the importance of writing a handwritten letter. At the time, even, even, you know, into like late high school and then like I'm turning 17 or 16, it's like, gosh, I, I, I got to write handwritten letters. Like, why can't I just call them or send a text and be like, hey, thanks for the money or thanks for the gift card or thanks for the gift, whatever it may be. And, and yada, 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 like the handwritten letter. And I now understand the importance of that. So mom, if you're listening, I know you are. I understand the importance of that now. Uh, thank you for pounding that into to me. But um, Nick, let's talk tactically for a second. And, and Jeremy may, may appreciate this even just talking tactics, especially in sales, because it's, it's not something that, that uh, Jeremy may be enlightened on, but, but you and I kind of love to think this way a little bit. What does that follow-up do as far as a tactical sales standpoint? It sets up the next sale, right? It sets you up better for, it sets you in a better position. And the example in the book that they use when they're talking about this is, is pool, shooting pool, shooting billiards. Frank Betcher got to watch a pro pool player, like win a world championship, right? I don't have, I'm not looking at the exact page in front of me, but I'm pretty sure that's right. And he studied the most simple shots for minutes. Like he, he was taking up the, the complete allotted time to, to study what seemed like a simple shot, but what he was doing and people know where I'm going with this, I'm sure, but he's setting up the next shot. Well, not just setting up the next shot, but you're setting up maybe like six, six shots down the road even. It's like, yeah, you want to set up your next shot. You want to leave yourself in position to, to make another shot. But how are you going to do that? And then also keep everything free even down the road and set yourself up for, you know, in sales, maybe the next sale that would happen next week or next month, but then set yourself up for the next following year, right? That person wants to come back with you and maybe they want to do something bigger or maybe they want to buy something better or uh, maybe they know somebody then in that year when it comes full circle that is looking for something that maybe wasn't before. And they reference you instead of just getting a cold call from somebody else that they don't know. Uh, and those aren't warm leads. Like those are the sizzling hot leads. And that's, I mean, it's tactical, right? Like as much as we want to talk about relational and, and remaining relational and building those relationships is incredibly important, but there is a tactical side, not a transactional side, but a tactical side to that. Uh, and I don't know, Nick, maybe you can speak a little bit more on the importance of it. Uh, and, and I kind of want to get Jeremy's thoughts uh, as far as tactics go. So Nick, I'll let you talk first and then swing it to Jeremy so I can hear his thoughts. 
Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for getting him included. I know this is a book a little bit outside of his uh, domain, but he is not falling asleep on you guys. Don't worry. He's just, he's so interested. He's observing what I'm we're soaking talking about. it in. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this no, this no, has my brain clicking. This, this portion definitely, you have my attention. <laughs> So just to share a couple actual tactics, and for those of you that have been in sales for a while, this may be a very, very obvious process, but um, I just like to share it because it stands out to me. So one thing in particular is how you approach a new prospect. You can't come in guns blazing. When people are like overwhelmed by your enthusiasm and all this other jazz and you try to sell, sell, sell right away, it's a large turnoff because again, you're kind of more so what's in it for me in comparison into what their needs are. So he has a uh, a metaphor or an example in trying to sell the appointment. So for any salesman that's going out, you're first trying to sell the appointment, not the product. The second step is the discovery process. Um, so we want to sell ourselves to get the appointment. Then after that is the discovery of, can we even work together? Because if we don't want to work together, if I don't like you or your attitude, or if you don't like your professionalism or you to me, then maybe we're wasting each other's time. So that approach and and the pre-research to who you're getting in front of is so, so important. Um, but then the fun part happens where you get to have the genuine dialogue of getting to know them and their needs. And then that's the beauty of following up when you say you're going to follow up in whatever timeline it is. Some people are truly sitting good and you, you need to call them in six months to a year. Some people are more immediate where it's not right now, but maybe it's in two or three months. Um, and then you have the sales that are, are folks that you call right away that are you know in the, in the market for your services. So there's almost pre-steps before you even get into the relationship building. And uh, again, I share this just as tactics for my own self and, and trying to balance networking with relationship building calls. And uh, then the cycle begins and, and you want to work the cycle after that. But um, I think I answered your question, Cole. I just want to make sure I get uh, Jeremy involved in the conversation as well, too. Well, really quick before yeah. Jeremy goes, I like, I'm just, you, you answer my question. And so I, I want to ask Jeremy, like his thoughts, because this isn't necessarily an area of expertise. And it is a, a book that's outside of the realm of what he does day to day. Jeremy, when you hear these tactics that we talk about, and then you also hear how it's like it, how important we are talking about and how important the, the book over the course of these three episodes is, has talked about how important the relationship building, being enthusiastic, but, but you know, obviously remaining, um, yeah, relational, I guess, the, for lack of a better term. How, how like hand in hand do you think they go and how tough do you think it is? to toe the line so that you're not teetering on what too much on one side or the other. Well, I mean, as every guest probably knows by now, I am no, no salesman, but I mean, <laughs> being in sales takes to me a lot of relationship building. I, I think it's, I'm a very transactional person and, and I'm sure everyone has, has came, come to know that where, you know, my, my style probably isn't going to work when I go to like, for say, I want to try to sell someone a baseball or something like, or I try to market my own lessons. Like I am a terrible marketer at my lessons. All I do is like, this is what you're getting. Um, this is what I want to do, blah, blah, blah. Very transactional. Whereas like, you can't do that in sales. Like I would, I would expect Cole or Nick, you would probably get fired if you went with my, my sales tactics. So yeah, I, I think there's <laughs> that you can be much more relational than you can be transactional in, in sales, which is probably better because, you know, you're building, it's, you're not really buying the product. If you're like, like, I guess the way I think of Cole, Cole's businesses, you're not 
buying the product, you're buying the experience more more or less. Like you're not you're you're, go, you're yeah, you're buying the tickets or you're buying a suite, but that experience at the baseball game is really what you're actually buying. So I I think you got to be able to sell the experience and, and relate to how people enjoy or or maybe won't enjoy or maybe there's something wrong you got to be able to relate to them whereas like i i would be the guy that would just go out and be like yo here's a box seat to this this baseball game it's awesome it's fun i can i'll give you all the numbers on how it's gonna help you succeed and then like i'd be like all right let's make a deal and more than likely that would fail but then again i am no salesman well and i would just say to that point yeah they would probably look at you jeremy and be like okay, why do I need this? Why am I spending money on this? And you'd be like, well, it's awesome. And to, I mean, to each person, that why is different. And so you're exactly right. Like those, like the, the transactional side, um, it, yes, like there's, there's a place for being very straightforward, right? Which, which essentially is what transactional is. It's like, I'm here for business. I'm here, you know, I'm here to sell you this. I want you to buy this so that I can have your money. and my company can stay afloat. You can have this good or this service or this experience um, and we can move forward. So that's why, you know, when we talk about the follow-up or we talk about, you know, the relationship building or tactically just setting up your next shot or setting up your next sale, uh, it is so important to know where the line is because it can become blurred very easily, or it is easy to slip into one side or the other where if you're getting too tactical or too transactional, uh, it becomes disingenuous. You aren't building a relationship and it becomes very cold. You can also fall into where it's more, it's, it's too relational and maybe you're getting away from the business side of things too much. And it is just becoming, you're kind of shooting the shit with people instead of making a sale happen, accomplishing the task at hand, uh, and and essentially, you know, doing what, what a salesman is supposed to do. So, um, Nick, I think, I mean, I think that kind of covers the, the follow-up, the tactical side of things, um, kind of, kind of keep us rolling here and, and, uh, what, what else, what else we got here? Yeah. Well, just to summarize too, and Jeremy, this is not to your demise. It's just the, I've learned in, in a little bit more experience than you guys is that there has to be a discovery of the need for services. So if there is no need for services, it's okay to be transactional where it's like, okay, like I've asked my diagnostic questions and truly like, like Cole, like if someone's not a big baseball fan, like you're going to try them maybe once, but like, if they just don't like it, there's just no reason to waste your time on them, you know, at the same time. So, um, there's a, there's a finite balance there, but, um, yeah, no, but uh, as far as other takeaways uh, from this, I'm I'm glad we covered some tactics in, in first round. Uh, I'm going to dig a little deeper on you, though, Cole, because there was such a, a plethora of information. What was maybe the second thing that had stood out to you um, on this book or, or t major takeaways? And if you need to take a, a quick sec to look at the book, no worries, man. Just um, I want I was thinking maybe about two or three, if that's fair to the listeners. Yeah, I think that's fair. The uh, the second thing that that um, and I don't even need to look at the book just because I, I had this in my brain that I wanted to actually ask you. So I'm going to be throwing it back on you quick. Um, is is about the close, and this is going to be much more salesy than relationship. Um, so for people who are listening to this episode for relationship stuff, I'm sorry we're off that topic. Uh, but this is going to be more salesy. The close. 
Um, and maybe this will be interesting. I don't know. Um, Nick, let me ask you a question. And then I'm going to ask Jeremy a question. Nick, in your early sales career, um, did you have a tough time asking for the close? Yes. And the reason for that was because, A, I did not realize the salesman is who guides the process and walks through the the, the customer through the process. And B, just in general, it was kind of weird to like get to the ultimatum of them actually completing the sales process as well too. So my first time ever closing, it was very nerve wracking and I'm sure that they sense that. Um, but then you start to learn that they expect you to go for the close. And so it's your, you know, it's your duty to go ahead and at least offer that up to them. So Jeremy, let me ask you a question and then I'm going to, I'm going to go back to Nick on this. Jeremy, if you were put in a situation where you had to ask somebody for money, ask for a close, money specifically, could you ask someone for money? Dude, I absolutely suck at this. I am like, I've had to ask like, not like for like large sums of money, but like, I remember like growing up, we would have to sell like softener salt for like a baseball fundraiser. I was mm -hmm. asking for people for money. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah hey, we're doing this, uh, this fundraiser, blah, blah, blah. And then I would tell them all about it and they'd be like, all right, um, so what do I do? And I'm like, um, well, I need your money now. And like, it was just, I was a terrible salesman and like, I've never been good at asking people for money. So let me rephrase my question then. Could you ask someone for $20,000? A check, could you um, ask someone to write a check no. for $20,000? No, I would be way too nervous. Okay. Um, so Nick, I'm going to turn back to you just because this is interesting and, and I like that you're smiling and hopefully people that are listening to this are smiling at this just cause it's, it's cutthroat, man. Like this can be the cutthroat part of sales. And this is where the line is really drawn between transactional and relational stuff. Like maybe it does get to be a little transactional. And so you got to be careful with how you approach it. There is a little bit of an art to it that I still haven't mastered. And I don't know if you have, um, but in your profession, Nick specifically, so as far as recruiting, is the close money? Is the close getting someone a new position? What would be the what would be considered the close, or what would be considered the thing you have to ask for in order to get a deal done? Yeah, so just considering our sales process it has many, many, many steps. Um, the the first of a couple, so there's probably three closes. Well, maybe four. Uh, so the first close is negotiating the fee agreement with the client. So I have to close my client on a percentage of, of fee that they're willing to pay me for our services. Um, we do that upfront. We're very open and honest with those guys. And uh, we range anywhere from 30% all the way down to, to 25%. So, I mean, uh, the fees in our industry are are not everyday sales. I mean, banks have to pay uh, quite a bit of money to, to use search firms. Um, and we understand that, but that's, that's how the, the world goes around. So that's the first close. Uh, the second is getting and helping people resign from their current employer. You have to be able to close them on their ability to walk in with confidence to a boss that they may have worked with the last five years and, and guiding them and coaching them on the, on the best way to do that. And boy, is that ever a nerve, you know, nerve wracking process, especially for those people that are super happy, but they're being proactive on their career, uh, career path. So that's the second one. Uh, and then the last one is just really making sure the deal comes together. So making sure the onboarding process is very smooth, the start date smooth, declaring expectations. 
Uh, and this can kind of bounce back to, to Jeremy a little bit. So when you are closing someone, uh, guiding them, you know, where do I sign? You know, put a, put a fat X on where they need to sign or write the check to. And just laying that out for them is essentially what a good close is, is being able to take where they're at and letting them know what the next step in the process is. And that's something that I've gotten a lot better at. And I'll give a lot of sh- uh, kudos to my boss for helping me along is really all closing deals comes down to is helping people learn what the next step to the process is and then asking their permission if they want to move forward. Um, I probably need to create a little bit more of a swagger with how I do it. I'm pretty straightforward, but uh, I suppose that comes with time. Yeah. So the fourth and final close, and in fact, it's really not a close uh, altogether, um, but Driftless Quality Wear, they're closing up their their winter store uh, and, and some of the, the stuff that they're doing over there and getting into their spring attire, which I mean, you were talking at the beginning part of the episode, Cole, it's that time of year to really get going and get out in the nice weather. So we're super stoked for that to roll out. Um, as always, when you go to their website and use at or State Street Pod, not at State Street Pod, but State Street Pod, uh, you get 10% off uh, the whole cart uh, as you purchase. Um, but there was uh, another thing I think, Jeremy, that they're working on, if you could touch on that real quick. Yeah, guys, since, uh, since the start of COVID, Corona, they have initiated their corona cleanup so for every item of clothing you purchase they will go remove a pound of trash from their local state or national parks and also they have become they have came out with a a new newsletter so if you want to go uh subscribe and get notified when they have new deals new product lines dropping that'd be a great idea as well because you know we all could use some quality wear from dripless quality wear nick really quick did you mean to make a pun as we're talking about the clothes and we talk about clothes. I think that was incredibly clever. So if you meant to do that, well done by you, sir. Um, if you didn't, that was a fantastic pun. You should maybe keep that and hold on to that for the future. Uh, because that was, uh, that was quite a, co- a coincidence if, if you didn't mean to do that. Yeah, uh, I wonder, so for the listeners that wonder if we have everything pre-scripted or not, there are times that we can get away with things, and that was one of them, so I'll thank the good Lord for sending that my way. Um, however, we do uh, script some of that stuff as well, too, so uh, I'm going to I'm gonna take the credit for that one just because I knew we were talking about closing sales, and I figure, hey, why not? Um, but uh, yeah, so let me turn that situation back to you quick, and then we'll cover our, our final points. Um, when you close someone, Cole, are you asking for a year subscription? Are you asking for like, kind of walk us through what that looks like for you? Uh, just because mine is a, like a multiple step selling process and closing process. Yeah. Realistically for me, I mean, it, it, it it'll, it's pretty standard. It's a pretty standard process of, okay, I get a lead and whether that lead is sizzling hot or ice cold and hasn't been talked to in years. Uh, that's really, you know, uh, obviously early starting out, you get all cold leads. You are new, you have no experience and you know, nobody. And so all of your leads are ice cold. And that's why the importance is placed kind of like we talked about, uh, as far as making a hundred calls a day. And that is the true importance in order to gain some sort of warm lead, get your name out there, introduce yourself as, you know, a new representative, a new salesperson and go on meetings and gain experience. Well, once you've done that, you know, a couple hundred times or had a, a, a good number of, of weeks or months put together of doing that, you start to uh, garner some interest. You start to pick, some, pick up some warm leads. You start to develop some leads. Um, and the process then becomes, okay, 
you're asking questions, you're figuring out what these people are looking for, if it's for, and what what is it for? Is it for pleasure? Is it for business? Is it to benefit some sort of a group? Uh, is it to raise money for something? You know, is it to, to simply celebrate, you know, achieving a goal or hitting a milestone? Um, in my case, being on, on our corporate side, it's more so about return on investment. If they bring somebody out, hopefully the person that they're bringing out is a prospective client or someone that has done a lot of business with that person in the past and they're looking to get that money back. And so there's a big emphasis on ROI. Um, I, I don't have to go too much into detail, but it's, it is standard. So you're asking a lot of questions. You're figuring out a lot of why they would be interested in something or when they throw objective uh, objections at you, it's okay. How can you spin it? Because the objections are real, right? They're, they're like the, not everybody is, is capable or has the want to buy from you, but finding the true understanding of the objection or finding the, the true nature of the objection is important. And we've talked, we've covered that in the past. So once you've done that, it simply is asking, it's simply dropping the price and then asking for that money or asking, how do you want to pay for this? Because once you, once, you know, for, you know, for a sweet example, you know, it's a certain amount of money and does that person want to pay it in full right then and there? If so, great. What card are we putting on? Or here's what you can make. Here's how you can make the checkout. You know, um, if not, okay, great. Let's get a deposit put down and let's get you on a payment plan. Why don't I just touch, you know, why don't we touch base every first of the month? Uh, for the next two months until we get you paid off. We can do three three different installments. And and from there, we'll have you paid off before the night even happens. And that way it's not a worry and it's not on your mind going into that evening. So there's a, it's not a subscription. It is, I mean, ultimately the, I would love for everyone to just pay everything right up front and not have to worry about it, but it's making it easy and realistically able to do for each person that you deal with. Some people are going to take a little bit more, longer time to pay it off. That's perfectly fine. It's all the same. It works out perfectly fine. Maybe it's just an, another opportunity to have a touch point with them, to learn a little bit more about them. You're calling to ask for money, which is not necessarily a phone call that everybody loves getting, but you also have that opportunity to maybe make that person's day and just ask them about their life or say, hey, I was thinking about you. Uh, I remember that, you know, you just got a dog. How's that little puppy doing? Or... Hey, like, you know, last time we talked, uh, I know that, you know, we, we got you on a sweet deposit. I'm, I'm, you know, is your kid excited about having their birthday here at the ballpark? You know, what kind of things do they like? Could I put a little, a uh, little goodie bag together for them? Something like that. Something super, super small that may be to, it may be super small to you, or it may take you out of the way. It may not be the most, um, advantageous thing to do as far as time is concerned, but it's that little opportunity to build a relationship. And then again, kind of back to our original point of I'm setting up my next shot. Maybe that friend, that, that kid, that kid who's celebrating the birthday, the parents who bought the suite for them and their friends, someone else who wants to do their birthday at the ballpark. I get that referral and that's great for me. And that's fantastic. It's another opportunity to make a sale. It's another opportunity to build a relationship. And so that that's kind of a little bit of the inside, like the process it's it to, to be completely honest and transparent. It's fairly standard as far as the sales process goes, but it doesn't lessen the fact that asking for a close or asking for money is incredibly hard. I'm terrible at it. Uh, and it, it's something that you have to simply do to get better at. There's no working around that. Yeah. And creating confidence uh, in doing so is 
where everyone obviously wants to get to, but I think I think what I have learned most up into this point on closing is laying out what the next steps entail and just being forward with people. So, you know, that could look like, hey, John, so it sounds like this is a, a great product for you and the family to come out to the ballpark. If you guys are interested, you know, it'll be X amount of dollars. It'll be, you know, in 30 days, you could do this, this, and this, and then you allow them to come to you. Um, or if you're in a multi-step selling industry like me, you kind of got to close them on every single step. There is a closing to, to moving the ball forward on all of the deals that we do. And um, we just try to do our best to, uh, to do that. But yes, I'm glad you asked that question. Question, Cole, because it is a hard bridge to cross the first couple times you do it, but then after a while you get into a good rhythm. It's it's super fun as well too. Yeah, so let me be really forward with you guys and our listeners really quick. Uh, obviously, we partner with Shy Town Blankets, uh, and they're they're an awesome partner. They do a lot of great things. Homelessness is a problem, though, right? It's it's a problem out here, even in Sacramento, California, where things seem sunny and and nice and fun. Um, and it's a problem clearly in the city of Chicago, Illinois, where our great friends and our great partners, Dom and, and, you know, his board members, such as Jack Thode, who've been on the podcast, they started this thing. Um, and they branched down into Texas actually, where they got to work with the Salvation Army and the Dallas Cowboys when that massive snowstorm hit, uh, the Dallas area and, and, and down in Texas and left a lot of people without power in cold temperatures, really without a lot of resources at their disposal. And so that's one thing that uh, recently they've just taken care of. Uh, They're getting, they they played a major part in um, helping out and being a helping hand, you know? Yeah, some people may say it's a blanket, but it's, you know, you never know what that blanket could do for someone. It's keeping somebody warm. It's giving, it's warming a a child maybe, or or a family, um, or or who who knows what it is. But if, if folks that are listening haven't donated, please go donate, whether it's in the form of a blanket, whether it's in the form of, of a monetary donation. Um, you can do it on their website where you can also sign up for the newsletter and hear about all these great things they're doing. You don't have to just rely on me to, to feed you the information of what's going on. Newsletter, super simple. They do a really nice job of keeping it concise, impactful, very informational as far as what's going on, what's coming up. It sounds like they have a big announcement coming. Uh, and so more news on that later. But we're, we're stoked that they're a partner. Um, and if you know people that haven't donated or maybe don't listen to us uh, and, and don't know about the, about Chi-Town Blankets, uh, have them go to chitownblankets.com. It's C-H-I-T-O-W-N-B-L-A-N-K-E-T-S.com. Uh, and they can, they can find more information on the website there. Yeah, it's uh, it's super cool to see what both Driftless and Chi-Town Blankets are going to be doing as we get into the meat of 2021 and on and through. And who knows, maybe either of them or both of them or none of them will be on coming up uh, on the show here in the next couple months. So um, go ahead, Jeremy. Sorry for cutting you off. See, before like before we head out, I, I did have a question that I've been sitting on for a while for both of you, and it may throw you because it's it's not something like you'd usually hear. So you could book read the book and is there for both of you was there ever like a point in your um while reading the book where you're like wow i actually was already doing this already without having to have someone tell me like like you stumbled on it naturally is like did you ever have like that moment where you're like wow that's 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 something like i was able to stumble on so just so i'm clear you're asking that we had maybe done this naturally but after we read it we realized that we were actually doing it 
Um, yep. Let me think. Let me think a little bit on that openly here. I think one thing that really stood out to me, and and I can reference this from the first time I read it, but the ability to work by appointment. That is such a massive thing. It's such a small thing, but every successful business, hair salons, restaurants, everything that operates at a high level generally works on appointments. So once I learned that, that was definitely something that had helped me out. Um, and then another thing that I, I really, uh, I had in my heart per se, but it was, it was kind of doing it was kind of not is just making sure I was a genuine person to them and trying to keep their best interests at heart. That is something that I've learned from my boss and I'm greatly appreciative of, but I was doing that in my heart. Now, was I doing that in the sales process? Maybe 50% of the time, but, um, yeah, no, that's a good question. Jeremy Cole, do you, uh, do you got any response for that? Yeah. So there's a, there's, there's a chapter in here, chapter 27, it's titled how I learned to outsmart secretaries and switchboard operators. Uh, basically the, the entirety of the chapter is telling you that you don't try to outsmart those people. Uh, Maybe it's maybe another word for it would be a gatekeeper, obviously secretary, um, personal assistants. You don't try to outsmart the people that can give you access to a decision maker or, you know, someone that you are, are shooting to, to have a meeting with or to sell on, on whatever you're selling. Um, because those switchboard operators, those assistants, those secretaries, those gatekeepers, those people set you know, in a lot of cases, they set schedules for very important and influential people. And in turn, it makes those people incredibly important. Uh, naturally, I really want, and this is just my nature and maybe to a fault sometimes, uh, but I really want everybody to like me. Like I, I really want people to, to see me as a genuine person, like Nick said, you know, with his point, but I want people to like me and I never want to try to get by someone sleazy in like a sleazy way or try to, you know, outwit somebody and, and sh show or state my dominance on them that you're lower than me or beneath me and I need to be going straight to the boss or whatever. No, like naturally that's not who I am. I don't, I mean, and I try not to be that person. I think that comes across incredibly rude and um, incredibly transactional, I guess, as, as we've used that word a few times now. Um, so that was something naturally for me is I really enjoy actually building relationships with, you know, the, the receptionist or the gatekeeper when I'm on a cold call and, and I pick it up and maybe, maybe I, I haven't talked to him in, in a couple months and it's like, Oh, Hey Carrie, like, how, how are you today? Or Hey Dave, this is Cole Sosinski from the river cats. Like, how are you? It's great to hear your voice. Uh, or when I do go into a meeting, giving them a, a very simple compliment on something that maybe on their desk or their shoes or um, saying, Oh, I really like that picture. I'd like to go there someday. Just letting them know a little bit about you and building that relationship so that it's not a complete stranger walking into an office demanding that they speak, that you speak to their boss or their employer. Um, because those people are, in, I mean, they are what they are. They're people, right? And they just, they want to be able to do their job to the best ability. And when you, as a, as a salesperson, uh, or you as a representative going in thinking that you're above them, uh, that makes their job incredibly hard and it inconveniences them completely like on, you know, one side of the spectrum. Uh, so naturally, Jeremy, to answer your question very directly, that is something that, that I felt I'm very, I'm very good at. I've also continued to try to build on that, uh, and, and emphasize that even more so now reading, reading this book. Yeah, those are two great answers. Nick, why don't you uh, keep us rolling and 
Bring us to the promised land. <laughs> yeah, so <clears throat> hopefully this sounds like the promised land right here. Um, I, I don't know if you, the listeners can tell or not, but we're trying to have a little bit of fun. Uh, we like to have fun here on State Street. We're not a completely straight-laced uh, operation here, but um, we're super soaked uh, for the next couple of weeks with guests. I, I'm going to leave you with this as we conclude the mini-series, and this comes from a place of not wasting your time, but also to really give um, understanding on what it is and means to work a process. So uh, Frank, towards the end of this book, was just talking about how one thing that he did really altered you know, his success, and he was not getting a high return on calls and was not prospecting well. And then he went to his records, and always keep records of what you're doing, no matter good or bad. After a while, the records will show you where you're weak and where you need improvement, and that is by far the, the best thing that you can do as a salesman. Uh, it had said that 70% of his sales were on the first interview, 23% on the second, and only 7% on the following ones. So the adjustment he made by using his records was putting more time and energy into his high dollar activities and being able to execute on that instead of not wasting time post um you know, these multiple interviews here. So if you're a salesman out there, uh, myself included, and I remind myself uh, by sharing this is understand the key top priority items where you make the most money and go and spend a lot of time there. So thank you guys so much for this episode. We appreciate you listening in. And until next time, guys.